Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Amen. That'll be a glorious day when he returns. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. Those of you who are visiting, we want you to feel right at home. This is a place where you can belong, believe, and become. We like to say it's a place where you can belong even before you believe. Because Jesus asks us to come. And once we come and encounter him, then we truly believe. And then once we believe, he makes us become all that he wants us to become. So Luke uh, chapter 21 is a very special passage. We're going to continue on talking about the second coming of Christ. And there's going to be a lot of details and things to look at. So I provided you a six-page outline, which is a little longer than normal, because we won't be able to cover all the details today. So I encourage you to go home and look at the details. Uh, Before we jump into the scripture, how many of you enjoy the snow we got on Thursday? All right. Well, I got a few pictures here. We built a snowman and snow angels. I think we even have a video of the girls here. That was me, by the way, not the girls. So they, they had a really good time building the snowman. And, uh, but I want to ask you, how, did you, how many of you knew the snow was coming? Anybody know? How did you know? The forecast, right? How many of you had bo- bones were aching and you can kind of tell? We had a few people in the first service that were like, my bones start aching. So there's a few signs to know. The weatherman or weatherwoman meteorologist says there's a snow coming. Here's the likelihood. You see the barometric pressure begin to drop. You see the temperature begin to drop. You see the clouds begin to form. Now, I didn't know this, but I know we have some science majors in here, but you can tell by the type of cloud what snowstorm it's going to be like. So if it's going to be a light snowstorm, there's stratus clouds. If it's going to be a heavy snowstorm, there's cumulus clouds. How many of you knew that, science major? I did not know that, so that was, that was new for me. So we had a light snowstorm. So today we're going to talk about the signs of the times. How do you know when Jesus is coming back? Now we have to differentiate because I was talking to even people this week and it was kind of confusing them. The rapture and the second coming are not the same event. So the rapture is going to take place before the tribulation and we'll talk about the reasons why I believe that. And then there's going to be the tribulation, seven years. And then there's going to be the second coming of Christ. So when we talk to believers about being ready for the second coming, being ready for the return of Christ, usually we're talking about the rapture. Are you ready for the rapture? Are you ready? And uh, so as, as we jump into this, I just want to say there are people who have different interpretations on prophecy, and that's okay. As long as you believe that Jesus is coming back, that's the key. So whether you're pre, mid, post-trip... Uh, for those of you who study prophecy, you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't, all those things are, you know, secondary to Jesus' is coming back. So we, we have to believe that. So if you have different interpretation, that's okay. So we're going to look at Luke 21, starting in verse 20. And there's a lot of scripture, so just hang with me. And we won't be able to cover everything on your listening guide, so take that home and, and look at that. 
Verse 20, Jesus starts, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those in the country enter her, for these are the days of vengeance, and all things that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant, and to those who have nurse or nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So let's pause a little bit. We're talking about the fall of Jerusalem, which happened, which day? You might remember? AD 70. Now there are a few dates I need to clarify because we had so many details uh, last time. The, the dates of the temple can be confusing because if you research it, there's different dates. But most people believe the temple was started to be built around 20 B.C. And Herod the Great continued to make it opulent and gold and all the beauty of the temple. And it was completed, scholars say, around 63-64 A.D. So when you put that in perspective, the temple was only built for six years before it was knocked down. Now, I know some of you retirees have built your dream home. Can you imagine building your dream home only six years later it's torn apart? This was the dream temple. This was like, you know, something they spent so many years and so many labors. I think we talked about over 10,000 workers that many years and just knocked down. So that's what happened. All right. Verse 25, Jesus begins to talk not only about that time period, but points us to the great tribulation. And there will be signs in the sun in the moon and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts felling them from fear, from the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. You may want to circle verse 27. That's talking about the second coming of Christ when he comes. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happen, happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place. Now, before we read verse 33, 32 presents a theological conundrum. Because he says, this generation will not pass away until all these things happen. Well, it brings up a question. Well, the Jews that saw this, they, they passed away. So how, what does Jesus mean here? So we'll talk about that in just a moment. Verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare to all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and stayed on the mount called Olivet. Then early in the morning all the people came to him, 
to hear him in the temple. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray as we talk about the second coming of Christ that we would be ready, that we would have our hearts ready so that if the rapture should take place at any time, that we would be ready for your coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we continue on with part two. If you were not here last week, I encourage you to go on the website, ardenfbc.com, and under media you'll find the sermon with the listening guide. So if you ever miss each week, uh, any week, it's, it's, on, it's on the website. So we talked about how to live like Jesus is coming back. What would your life be like? How would your life change if you really, truly believe Jesus was coming back? Uh, I grew up in the Wesleyan tradition, which is kind of a holiness church. And they taught about the second coming a lot. My parents remember, it's like, you didn't want to go to the movies on Sunday because what if Jesus came back? It was just like, and you were kind of scared. And, you know, you could take that too far to legalism. I, I realize that. But there's not a lot of teaching in the church today that I'm aware of the second coming. And that's one advantage of going verse by verse because whenever the Bible talks about it, we address it. And the Bible talks about the second coming a lot. So let's, let's dive into the scripture, how to live like Jesus is coming back. All right. First point we're going to talk about is the fall of Jerusalem. It was predicted by Jesus before it happened. So in verses 20 through 24, Jesus gave this prediction. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by the armies, beware. And here's what's really amazing about history. We know that it happened, but Jesus gave warning to the people who would listen, i.e. the believers. And we know that, first of all, let's look at the warning. He said, if you're in Judea, go to the mountains. If you're in the middle of Jerusalem, get out of there as soon as you can. If you're in the country, don't go near the city. So here's what happened. And you guys can Google this. Did any Christians escape Jerusalem eighty seventy? And you will find that there was a large group of believers for, for that time. They escaped to a place called Pella, P-E-L-L-A. Easy way to remember is, can't you tell her I'm heading to Pella? Can't you tell her I'm going to Pella? So they got away to Pella. So the cool thing is they escaped the wrath of God on the city because they got away. Now something we learned last week from Warren Wearsby is that what happened in Jerusalem is a stage call, is a microcosm of the great tribulation to come. So we know all the things that happened in AD 70, that was specific to the Jews and Jerusalem and that area surrounding what's going to happen in the great tribulation. It's going to be worldwide. So what you saw on a small level it's going to happen to the world. So a lot of these signs we're going to talk about, they happened in AD 70. There were signs in the sky. We talked about Halley's Comet. You remember, I believe it was AD 66. Nero saw Halley's Comet. And in that day, it was an omen of bad things to come. So when he saw that, it meant to him, oh no, there's going to be someone that's going to replace me. So whenever Nero got mad, he typically killed people. So there were signs in the sky. But when the tribulation happens, there's going to be a lot more signs. And for those of you who weren't here last week, we talked about it's like birth pains. We're expecting our fifth child. And I joked last week how with our second child, I believe our second child, we found out the first child you can't eat in the hospital. So we went through Chick-fil-A drive through on the way to the second child. And when the intensity and frequency got together, and I asked one of the, we have someone in the first service that just gave birth. I said, is it 411? She said, yes. When, you, when it's four minutes apart and the contractions last up to a minute, that's when you've got to get to the hospital. So I'm remembering for baby five, four, one, one, get ready. You've got to go to the hospital. So all that is a precursor for the Great Tribulation. The intensity picks up and it gets closer together. So notice it says that this is going to happen to the Holy City. So it brings up a question, 
why would God, a loving God, destroy the holy city and the holy temple? I mean, how could a loving God do that? A lot of people would ask that. This is his city. Well, if you look in your listening guide, I provided a summary of Leviticus 26. And basically, God gave a covenant to the Jewish people. And it was like this. If you keep my covenant, here's all the amazing things that will happen to you. You're going to be blessed beyond your wildest dreams. If you disobey, i.e., if you don't live in faith, here's all the consequences. And it mentioned death and destruction and being taken over by other nations. And you can read the list. There's a long list I summarized for you. Basically, that's what happened to the Jews in AD 70. It was the result of breaking God's covenant. Notice it says this will happen until the time of the Gentiles. Now, what in the world is the time of the Gentiles? The time of the Gentiles could be argued it started as early as 586 B.C. Remember what happened in 586 B.C.? Jerusalem was carried away into Babylon. So some scholars say that started as early as, th- as then. But if you study Jewish history, which we don't have time today, since that moment on, Jews were taken over by people after people after people after people. And even though Israel is a nation now, and they're back established, you still have a lot of conflict, and you still have the Dome of the Rock right there, right where the temple area would be, or just adjacent to that area. So they're still not completely where they want to be. So we know the tribulation and such will happen and it says the Gentiles will continue to dominate until this will happen. What is the Gentile time? Well, since Jesus rose, we call this the age of grace. This is a chance for all of us to be saved. So be thankful that Jesus hasn't come back yet because you guys are here today, right? And you had a chance to be saved. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't come back the day before you got saved? Wouldn't that be kind of scary? Have to go through the tribulation. I'm so thankful. If you look in your listening guide, Paul refers to the Gentiles and the Jews in Romans 11. He said, again, I asked, did they stumble so hard to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Talking about the Jews. Because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater will their full inclusion bring? In other words, we are here to you today because of God involving the Gentiles, which is great. When I mean Gentiles, I'm talking about non-Jews. But don't think God has written Jews off. They still have a future fulfillment. And we're going to see that happen. There's going to be a millennial, millennial kingdom that will happen after tribulation. So the Jews still have an opportunity. All right, point number two. This is where we get in the nitty-gritty of prophecy. Look for the signs of the times that Jesus is coming back soon. Look for the signs of the times. And what I mean for the Christian, his return... What we're looking for right now is the rapture. When I say coming, the second coming is divided up kind of in two phases. Phase one is the rapture of the church. That's where Jesus meets us in the air, and not everyone's going to see that. The Christians will be called up. Paul says the dead in Christ will rise, and we'll meet him in the air, and we'll be with the Lord. That's exciting. And then while we are in heaven, enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb, enjoying time with the Lord, what's going to happen here on earth? tribulation so a lot of times when we say the second coming we're thinking of what happens after the tribulation and i'm going to tell you i know some of you may believe you have to go through the tribulation but i hope to present a different perspective to some of you because i think we won't have to and i'll give you several reasons why so let's look at the text first of all the signs there's going to be eight signs some will review from last week but before we do that you may want to write this down 
about the second coming of Christ, there's a lot of references. Over 1,800 references in the Old Testament. So think about that. In the Old Testament, it talks a lot about his first coming, but the second coming, over 1,800 references. In the New Testament, 318 references. So if you calculate how many verses are in the Bible, that's about one out of 30 verses refer to the second coming. So that's a lot. So 23 out of the 27 books in the New Testament deal with the second coming of Christ. So that's, that's so important. All right, let's look at the signs. Number one, there's going to be times of great deception. How many of you know this is going on all around? You cannot look at the news without people talking about fake news and what is real, what is true, and everyone fact-checking everything. And it's like, what's real, right? Well, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. A deception has existed throughout time. But remember the birth pangs analogy? It's going to get worse and more intense. All right, number two, times of great conflicts. Every since around 3600 B.C., there's been wars. And there's been, we calculated, over a billion people have died in wars, maybe more. So there's been wars, but it's going to increase in intensity and frequency. Number three, times of great instability on the earth. We see that happening. And even our scientists, they talk about what's going on with the weather, what's going on with climate. Jesus said there's going to be great instability. You're going to see it happen. Number four, times of great signs from heaven. There's going to be signs that you're going to see. And I warned you last week, we can notice the signs, but don't set a date for the return of Christ. People said, oh, four blood moons. Jesus is coming back and don't do that. Never predict when. You look at the signs, but you don't assign a date. Number five, times of great persecution upon Christians. Jesus predicted that many of his followers would be killed. We see this happening in the book of Acts, and we see the intensity picking up. And if you think it doesn't happen today, read Voice of the Martyrs. There's Christians every day being martyred around the world. It's happening. Number six, times of family betrayal. In other words, if you say, I'm a Christian, your family says, you're no longer my son or daughter. Or the husband or wife says, I'm out of this marriage because you're a Christian. It's happening. We, we have it happening even in this church. People say, my spouse doesn't want to be my wife anymore, or my husband, because I'm a Christian. It's happening. Uh, times of great hatred towards Christians. We find that in verse 17. You don't have to look on your TV very long to think when they talk about Christians, they think of bigots and hate mongers and they're attaching labels. And what this is doing is setting up for when persecution arises, the culture is already there. Number eight, times of great fear and anxiety. We see that in verse 26. And specifically, it's talking about during the tribulation, there's going to be so much fear and anxiety. But do we not see that here in the world we live in? So many people are fearful and anxious the world will not get better before jesus returns the world will get worse you're like pastor i'm so glad i came to church today cheer up the worst is yet to come so the reason why i tell you all this is i don't want it to take you by surprise you think with with the internet with technology with medicine with science we've made such improvements but you look at the moral decay of the world it's not getting better it's getting worse so for the people in the 1800s and the Enlightenment period, and they were looking for this utopian society, it never came. Why? Because Jesus predicted the world's going to get worse. In Matthew, he says, because iniquity or lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Have you ever met a world where some people are just so cold, not loving? We live in that world today. We live in that world. So in verse 28, he says, when you see these signs, does he say, look down, look discouraged? He says, look up, 
because your redemption draws near. In the context, I think he's talking about the tribulation. And I think this is written to specifically the Jews who the Bible says in Revelation there's going to be Jews that are witnesses and there's going to be people, I believe, that get saved. So when they have to go through persecution, look up, your redemption draws near. But for us now, before the rapture, what does it mean? It means you don't get discouraged by this world. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Because if you look down and around, you get discouraged. But if you look up, you stay encouraged. Amen? In point number three, he gives us a story that points towards the sign of the end times. In verse 29, he says, look at the fig tree and all the trees. And he uses the fig tree as an example. Whenever you see it budding, you know that summertime is coming. I know we have a lot of school teachers present and retired in our, our, our church. And I have to preface this by saying I love teachers, but... When I was in fifth grade, you know what? I wanted to be out of school. And what I could not wait for was summer break. How many of you are ready for summer break for the, for the students? I mean, I'm, still, I'm still that mindset. I'm out of school, but I, I could not wait for summer because summer meant the pool. I grew up in Inca Candler. There was the Hominy Valley swimming pool. And what that meant is swimming. They had Terry hot fries. If you guys remember the hot fries and sodas. and It, it was wonderful. Summertime. So when Jesus gives this parable, he says, listen, world can be hard, life can be cruel, but know that summertime is coming. My return is coming, and I will rescue you from everything you're going through. Just trust in me. But then he says something that's a little hard in verse 32. If you'll look back at verse 32, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Now, that presents a theological conundrum because we haven't seen the great tribulation and worldwide chaos. Matthew 24 and 25 goes in much more detail. Matthew 24, I believe it's 21, says there's going to be great tribulation. We haven't seen that yet. Yes, we saw the fall of Jerusalem. Yes, there's war, but not to the scale that Revelation teaches. So what does he mean by this generation? Well, one interpretation, it refers to the Jews of Jesus' day. But that couldn't be right because they died and they didn't see all that. So it can't be that. Another interpretation is it talking about the Jewish race. The Jewish race will continue throughout time. And when the end comes, the Jews will still be around. Well, they're still here. So that's a possible interpretation. Another interpretation is it refers to those who are living during this time when they see the tribulation, when they see the second coming. All this will happen so fast that generation will live to see these signs. And I believe that's the, the best interpretation, the third, even though it, it could include the Jewish race. So here's what I would encourage you. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words stand forever. So God's word is true. It's faithful. So you can trust in him. And if you're going through something hard right now in your marriage, you can trust in God. If you're going through something hard at your job, you can trust in him. He keeps his promises. So here's what I'm looking forward to. I'm not looking forward to dying, but I am looking forward to a rapture. Wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to die if the rapture took place? I mean, that would be like, so that's, that's where my, my hope is. So if you look on your listening guide, I don't have time to go into all the details, but this comes from a website called gotquestions.org. It's a conservative site that has more of the historical, traditional Christian understanding. So the first question asked is, what's the difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming? And a lot of people see it as the same event, but there's actually a difference. If you look on your listening guide, the rapture is when Jesus Christ returns in the air to remove the church. We are called up. 
In Thessalonians, it says we are called to meet the Lord in the air. It's the Greek word har- harpazo, and that's where we, we translate it. We get our word rapture, to be called up into the air. So if someone says rapture is not in the Bible, you say, well, the Greek word is. That's, we translate it rapture into English. It's harpazo. It means to be called up into the air. And um, so that's, we're called up in the air, and when, when we're with Jesus, and for all your family members who have died in Christ, the good news, their souls are in heaven, and they have some form. We could talk about what that is. Some scholars believe it's a temporary glorified body. We don't know exactly, but you could see Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. They had bodies. They, they saw them. But the, the dust will be, rapture, will be, when the rapture takes place, the, the dust of all the people that were in Christ, cremated, buried at sea, whatever, all that will be called up and a glorified body will appear. And you're like, well, why in the world would God want to call up dust? I mean, what, what's the point of the dust? Well, it doesn't really clearly give us a full understanding. My best understanding of it is whatever Satan did to destroy, God's going to undo. So even to the very dust of the world, Satan destroyed it by sin. And guess what? God's going to recreate it. It goes back to Genesis 1. How did God make man out of the dust so guess what? He's going to recreate us out of the dust again. It goes back to Genesis. Yeah, the, fa- the, man, the, the body of mankind was fallen. I'm going to take the same dust, and I'm going to recreate you into a new creation, into a glorified body. Amen. That's good news. So the basic difference is that the second coming is after we've been in heaven for seven years, there's going to be a tribulation period on the earth for how many years? Seven years, and you're like, well, where do you get this? Well, I have the references in your listening to God. Thessalonians, uh, the book of Daniel. There's a lot of prophecies that talk about Daniel's 70 week, the last week, seven years. And a lot of scholars differentiate between the tribulation and the great tribulation. The tribulation is a seven-year period. The great tribulation is the last three and a half years, and it call, it's called Jacob's trouble. It's called chaos. It's, it's all the stuff you see unfold in Revelation chapter 6 through pretty much 18, chapter 18 and 19. But it brings up the question, how do you know what makes you believe the church will not have to go through the tribulation? It's a good question. How do you know? Well, if you read Revelation, and I encourage you to go read it, the Bible says you get a blessing if you read it. Blessed is he who reads. The church is mentioned in chapters 2 and 3, you know, the seven churches. And then in chapter 4, John gets called up into heaven in this vision. And a lot of scholars believe that's symbolic of the rapture being called up. Chapters 4 and 5, he's called up into heaven and sees the worship of God. And I believe that's talking about what's going to happen to us. We'll be called up and we'll be going on in heaven worship. But you see the great tribulation, chapters 6 through 18, 19, it does not mention the church. It mentions the Jewish race. It mentions saints, which can be referring to Jews, but it does not talk about the church during the tribulation. So that's why I believe, uh, just reading the scriptures, but also I want you to write this verse down. Revelation 3.10 is talking to the church at Philadelphia. And um, he says, this is Jesus' promise, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall be upon the whole world to test those who live in the world. So he said, I'm going to keep you from it. So let's go back to the tribulation. The purpose of the great tribulation is twofold. Number one, it's going to fulfill the consequences of the Jews breaking their covenant, rejecting the Messiah, so on and so forth. The Old Testament covenant, there's consequences. So they have to finish that 70th week of Daniel. 
So that's, that's part of it. Part of it deals with the Jews. The second part is God's judgment upon the ungodly, those who reject Jesus. He's pouring out the wrath if, as you read in Revelation. So here's the thing. For the believer, who took your wrath? Somebody tell me. Jesus. So think about it, just not, not only in Revelation, but just a, a big picture understanding. If Jesus took the wrath of God for me on the cross, I don't have to face the wrath of God again. And that's why you won't have to go through the tribulation. Amen? Now, if you disagree, that's okay. We can have different opinion, but I'm looking for a hole in the sky. <laughs> I'm ready. So here's the thing. Whether you get raptured or whether you die to meet the Lord in the air, you're with Him. And we're having this marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, if that information didn't convince you, I got a third analogy from Jewish culture that hopefully will convince you. And I encourage you to go home and Google it, research it, first century Jewish customs of marriage. It's really fascinating. So here's kind of how it happened. Whenever you were a young Jewish man, Jewish lady getting married, here's kind of the, the general process. There were other traditions, but here was the general. The young man would build a house onto his, he would build a room onto his father's house. So it'd be like me telling my parents, I'm getting married. I'm going to build an extension onto this house. And once it's ready, what he would do is go to his father and get permission to pick up his bride. Before that, he had to pay the price, the dowry price. Because financially, when you took a woman out of an environment where she was vital, it financially hurt the family. So the, the Jewish dowry was to help the other family not to suffer financially. So he would build a room onto the house. He would pay the dowry price. He would ask his father's permission, is it time? I'm ready to pick up my bride. So here's what would happen, ladies. The, the, the betrothed bride, that's going to be the bride-to-be. To they're not officially consummated, but they're betrothed. She would not know when he's coming. So she'd have to keep herself ready at all times. My wife joked and said she's probably been on spices and perfume every day. Is he coming today? Is he coming? So she would not know. So whenever he would go to his bride to collect, to to, to gather her to himself, when he was getting close to the house, he would blow a trumpet to announce his coming far away. As he was getting close, the trumpet would blow. And then whenever he would get right outside the door, he would shout, and I know for us for ladies and today, that doesn't sound very attractive, but that was culturally, the Jewish culture, shout, this macho, ha, I don't know. And she would come out. She would come out already. He would take her back to the room that he had built on his father's house, and there would be a wedding ceremony and honeymoon lasting about seven days. And then whenever that honeymoon was over, he would go back to the mother, the father and mother's house of the bride and announce, this is my bride, I'm her rightful husband. Okay, are you guys tracking with me? Jesus, in John 14, he said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. In the Greek, it's dwelling places. The NIV translates it rooms, ironically. It, it could be a mansion, but it's, you know, it's a dwelling place. And it's in my father's house. He's already paid the price for his br- bride, shedding his blood. He's already paid the price. So whenever the time is right, and God only knows the time, when the last person you know, that in God's clock that's going to get saved. Obviously, I believe there's people who get saved during the tribulation, but whenever that time comes in this age of grace, the Father's going to tell the Son, it's time. Of course, the Son of God knows in heaven, but it's time. And then He's going to come, and He's going to be in the air, and we are going to be called up, but it's going to be announced with the trumpet, with the voice of an archangel, and with the shout. Go read Thessalonians. And we're going to be called up in the air, And instead of seven days honeymoon, we're going to be in heaven for seven years. 
And once that's complete, he's going to take his bride. And Jesus, you read Revelation, he's going to be on that white stallion. And we're going to come down with him. And he's going to be like, here's my bride. Here's my kingdom. Don't you love it? (laughs) So hopefully from those three factors, you see, regardless of what you believe about the tribulation, just know that you've got to be in Christ. So that's, that's the exciting part. So I, I have notes there for you to go back and look at the references, but it brings our final point. It's a so what question. Okay, <laughs> tribulation, rapture. So let's get this right, Pastor Timothy. There's, we're, we're in the age of grace, and then in God's timing, there's going to be a rapture, and we're going to be called up seven years in heaven, seven years of tribulation. Then Jesus is going to come back. So what? What does that mean? Well, Jesus gives us the so what. Look at verse 34. Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, that that day come on you unexpectedly. So this past, this past week, and I, by the way, we got some dentists in our church. I love dentists, but I had a visit to the dentist, and it lasted almost three hours. So let me tell you the reason why. When I was 11 years old, and previously, we had an amazing family that let us eat all kinds of candy. And uh, I didn't brush my teeth very well. And we would go to the beach. And ladies and gentlemen, they had these 24 packs of Coke. They still have them now. But that was my greatest thing. I would get a 24 pack of Dr. Pepper, DP23. Drink one after another. Okay? Some of you guys are shaking it. For some of you, it's Mountain Dew. But what happened is I developed cavities. And they put these huge black metal fillings in my mouth. And what I did not realize is, a kid, once you have a cavity, it lives with you for the rest of your life. How many of you knew that? I, I did not know. I just, okay, get it fixed. So now I have to go back many years later, and the, the fillings begin to leak and get old. So they have to, like, they put a jackhammer in my mouth, pulling this metal out. And now I've got a tooth-colored filling, which is much better than the, the black metal, whatever is in my mouth. But it's like... This is so much pain. But what I didn't realize is, as a kid, drinking the drinks, the sugar, the candy, living it up as a teenager, I didn't realize that this, the way I was living and taking care of my teeth, it would haunt me for the rest of my life. So 10 years from now, guess what? I have to go back to the dentist, jackhammer again, and take the fill. It's living with me for the rest of my life. So what Jesus is giving analogy is, listen, I want you to make decisions that you will not regret. Now, God can forgive you. He can take away your sin, but what if the rapture were to take place and you were a saint who was in a season of sin? Like if Jesus came back, the rapture take place, let's use the marriage analogy. Imagine that you're getting married and you go to pick up your fiance for a date and there's another guy there and you found that she was cheating. How would that make you feel? And that's spiritually what's happening. Jesus is like, don't cheat on me. I'm coming back. Be ready. So if you look on your list and you've got a few applications The first one is check yourself before you wreck yourself. He said, take heed, watch out, because my coming is imminent. My coming is imminent. Check your heart. Is it weighed down by this world, or is your heart full of joy in the Lord? And on your list, you've got to put an EKG test to ask question number one, am I living for personal happiness or kingdom purposes? You guys are going to think about me drinking those Dr. Peppers and living it up for a kid. And it's like, you know, I wasn't really thinking of the big picture. 20, 30 years later, I'm still dealing with this. Number two, am I caught up in the cares of life or am I passionate about the things of God? 
So think about if, if the rapture were to take place today, would I be ashamed? Would I be caught off guard or would I be excited? Like, yes, Lord, come quickly. The next application point is always be ready so you won't be caught off guard. So he said, be ready because I could come any moment. And then he says, watch and pray. Be alert. Watch and pray because you don't know when that day will come. And then I love how the scripture ends in the last two verses. It says that Jesus, what did he do? He was teaching the people in the temple. And this is so powerful that think about, we talk about if, as you get older, you have this list called, what is it called? A bucket list. These are things I want to die before I kick the bucket. How many of you have a bucket list? Nothing wrong with having a bucket list, right? But listen to Jesus. He's got like 72 hours left to live. And instead of filling his bucket list, he's pouring his life into people. Because he knew the two things that live forever are the word of God and the souls of people. So there's nothing wrong with having a bucket list. But what if is on your list is I'm going to pour into people because people matter to God and they should matter to me. Amen. Final story and we're finished. Um, there's a story told of a father and they were swimming off Jersey Shore, you know, beach, enjoying the, the, the time together, beautiful sunny day. But before they knew it, uh, the father and his two children, the son was... Uh, eight years old, the daughter was ten, the tide started carrying them way off into dangerous areas in the beach. And the father knew he had to do something. He knew the girl was a good swimmer and the son probably wouldn't make it if they kept out there. So he and the son rushed back and he was helping the son get back to shore. And he looked at his daughter Mary and said, Mary, you're a good swimmer. You can swim on your back all day. Just float on your back. And I'm going to go get help, but I want you to keep swimming and keep floating until I return. Daddy will return. I will come back. So the, the father and son made it to shore, and here's Mary. She's floating, floating. An hour passes by. The help's not there yet. Two hours passes by. It's starting to get critical. How is this 10-year-old girl going to make it? Three hours passes by. Finally, after four hours, the rescue crew finds Mary. She's still floating. She's still swimming. She's still kicking. And they said, Mary, were you afraid? She said, no, I wasn't afraid. They said, why weren't you afraid? She said, my daddy told me I'm a good swimmer. I can keep swimming, keep floating, keep paddling. And he said he would be back to get me. You can count on that. So friends, Jesus has left us to this world. We are in the world, but not of the world. And the encouragement to you today is keep swimming, keep floating, keep going against the current, keep fighting the tides of this world because he will come back. When you think you can't swim any longer, he will come back. Amen. So today we, we covered four points, if we'll put the review points here. Number one, the fall of Jerusalem was predicted by Jesus before it happened in A.D. what? 70. Number two, look for signs of the time that Jesus is coming back soon. We talked about at least eight signs, and these are true uh, before the second coming. But remember the intensity and frequency. You'll see some of these signs before the rapture but they'll pick up during the tribulation. Number three, a story that paints toward a sign, points toward a sign of the end times. We see that when the tree is budding, summer is coming, and he will rescue us. So, so what? How should I live my life? If you'll go and put the sermon on the sentence on the screen, this summarizes us. If we will live our lives like Jesus is coming back today, my life will change. So I want to ask you, are you living your life like the rapture could take place? Are you living your life like we could get called up into the air? Or are you one of those saints caught in a season of sin where you're not really living for the Lord and you're not really serving, you're not really 
waiting, would you be embarrassed if he came back or would you be excited? Would you be like, yes, I got caught serving you. I was ready. I was prepared. And for those who haven't given their life to Jesus, the great tribulation is real. The the seven-year tribulation period is real. And the last three and a half years is real. And I don't want anyone to go through that. And the good news is if you give your sins to Jesus, he takes all the wrath of God. You won't have to experience the wrath. But if you reject Jesus and get raptured, you will have to go through the tribulation. And this is a warning that you don't want to go through it. It's It's going to be the time of the worst wars, the worst famines, the worst you can imagine. And I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm saying that to prepare you, that... This preacher warned you that the end could be at any time. We don't know. But remember that Jesus provides a way out. Just like he did in AD 70, the Christians went went away to Pella. He provides a way out. And you can have that way out today. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, how it's powerful and it's true. And God, I know prophecy can be challenging when we talk about the nuances, but Regardless of what we believe about the end times, help us to believe that Jesus is coming and he wants us to be ready. That's the main point of prophecy. Christ is coming and we have to be ready. Right now, I want to pray and no one looking around. I just want to ask you this. I want to pray for you. Is there anyone that would say, Timothy, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but you know, I'm not really ready. If Jesus were to come back, the rapture were to take place. Uh, if, if he were to come in the air and the church would be raptured, I would kind of be embarrassed because... I'm, I'm, I'm either not serving or I'm not really using my gifts or I'm, I'm living in a season far from God and I know He's calling me back. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if that's you, just deal with the Lord. Let your seat be your sanctuary. Say, God, I'm sorry. I've not been serving you as I should. I've not been loving you as I should. I want to be ready that when you come, I will not be ashamed. As the believers continue to pray, no one looking around, is there one here today that would say, Timothy, when you talked about the tribulation and not being ready, I just, my, my heart just jumped in my chest that if Jesus were to come back, I would be left behind and I'm not ready. I have not accepted Jesus as my Savior. If that's you, friend, we're going to give you an opportunity in just a moment to come forward. But right where you're sitting, I just want you to reach out to God to say, Jesus, I need you to save me. Jesus, I believe that you are God and that you died on the cross and yes, you rose again. And Jesus... I want a relationship with you. I I don't want to be left behind without you. I want to live for you starting today. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We love you and we give you thanks. And all God's children said, Amen. You guys are.